like, there's like, some subtlety there yes because you if yeah. you have elevated exogenous ketones then your body's like hey we, we we're already deep into ketosis we don't need to do fat breakdown for more ketones so it inhibits natural lipolysis and endogenous production but it, but it's sort of a balance right like for a lot of ketone salts like keto os you don't elevate your beta hydroxybutyrate levels that much right but i, I feel like yeah. it, it has a place as a tool right so like you know how to use it i haven't really figured out how to use it yet like i think strategically during a race probably so that way you're getting a you are burning ketones already i'm just wondering i'd like to be i don't know how you would quantify this but you know I'd like to know what my ketone levels are. are, say, are you, so you're doing breath tests, like ketonic yeah. blow stick, or yep. okay. yeah, it's a, it's called keto keto meter is what okay. I have. Okay. Um, but you know, so I'm I'm tracking on a regular basis, like seeing what foods affect me, what knocks me in and out of ketosis, right. when I'm in, when I'm out. Um, I'm finding that I'm in about half a week at a time okay. when I'm in training blocks because when I get into like long run zones, I'm usually strategically. This is where I'm biohacking carbohydrates. Right. You know, I'm. I'm strategically using more carbohydrates around those efforts. So, <clears throat> for example, I would have like a serving of sweet potatoes smothered in butter right. or something, you know, on the di- the night before a big a big block training, you know, long run day. Now, like I, I I'd be curious to just learn your your blood beta hydroxybutyrate level. So, beta hydroxybutyrate (BHB) is one of the main ketones that we're talking about. Is uh, yeah, that, that, that's how you measure it. And, the most accurate way to measure BHB is through blood. So I'm curious, like, in terms of, like, are you floating around at 0.5 millimole ketones, 1.0? You know, I'm just curious if you're looking into that at all. I'm, I'm mainly, the, the one I'm in is it, it, it just gives you, like, a zone when you're in nutritional ketosis. Okay. It shows if you're low carb, right. and then it shows if you're not even having producing right. any ketones. Okay. Like, no, so there's, like, a low ketone level. You're still producing ketones, but you're more like a low carb diet, but right. not what we'd call probably more of a private, probably more of a primal blueprint, right. like paleo style of eating. So you're okay. still eating some fruits, a couple servings of fruit a day and that kind of thing. Have you, but I find, Oh, go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to ask like, on the top of exogenous ketones. Have you looked into some of the research coming out of Oxford and NIH, the, the Clark, the Clark Veach, uh, ketone ester? Um, I haven't looked at that study. Okay. Cause there's so. really interesting studies there where it shows that, um, you know, you're basically seeing two, three per- percent performance bo- boosts on top tier British former cyclists and rowers. So it's like very interesting to see. And are they already keto adapted, or are they just a high carb athlete? Yeah, they were just no, they were not <laughs> fat adapted. It was just on standard Western diet trained athletes, and exogenous ketones essentially just elevated their uh, ketone levels and exogenously so high they basically had the full. Uh, ketone store and their full glycogen reserves at the same time without needing to do a four six week fat adaptation period so i think that's you know something interesting coming you know literally off the presses in the last year or two Um, well i think for a carb a high carb athlete i'd say that's a a a great like that's where it really is going to you're going to see in performance and benefits i'm i'm curious like on a fat adapted athlete if that if you're seeing as much because you're already using ketones the body's already use them um i think I would theorize that why would you want to replace your natural production of ketones with exogenous ketones? Well, I, Unless it's giving you a big surge, yeah. then you could get that performance benefit because your body already understands ketones and it's very efficient at using them. Yes. So that that might help. There's another theory there. Yeah. I, I don't know how you quantify that. No, I think I think that was something that like I think there's to be done, a little bit more research to be done. How do you 
can we test ketone esters on fat adapted athletes or keto adapted athletes? But like my sort of theory crafting here is that to be fat adapted, your glycogen reserves naturally are, are pretty constrained, right? Like you're kind of cycling through your glycogen stores, you're very fat adapted. But if you have, you know, full reserves of glycogen and full reserves of ketones ex exogenously, that could be an interesting metabolic state that you just don't really see naturally through diet or fasting. But yes, totally. yeah, but and, and to, I think to be, the, to the, be argument, the argument for keto, <clears throat> for not being a high carb athlete versus being a keto adapted athlete is coming back to the recovery, right? Doing less oxidative stress because yeah. you're not having an insulin response and blood sugar spikes all the time right. in your everyday life, which means you recover faster because you have less inflammation. Right. So I think that's the key to the, the lifestyle change is the recovery and weight management piece of this. And then using carbohydrates strategically around effort, right? You know what we call a carb sneak yeah. in in our circle, um, <laughs> is is sneaking it in under a bed of fat around harder effort. Yeah. One thing I wanted to bring up was that do you incorporate fasting into your regimen? So everyone at NutriBox does some sort of intermittent fasting protocol. So I'll usually do a weekly thirty six hour fast to basically Same. just kickstart myself into ketosis right you, you essentially within 20 24 hours you're gonna blow through your glycogen reserves and it forces your body into ketosis um curious you know are, are you playing with fasting you know diet you know how does that incorporate if it if it does so i have two protocols on intermittent fasting um one is a full fast so like say um i do a fasted run like my last carbohydrate meal or meal would be like in an evening and then I would sleep all night, get up the next day, do long run, long fasted run. So only water and salt um, during that run, and no calories. But I will biohack with a with bulletproof coffee. Okay. So, um, so I have bulletproof so coffee. Like MCT for oil, butter. Okay. I MCT oil or butter or both. Butter and heavy whipping cream. Okay. Or MCT oil and heavy whipping cream depends on what's in the house. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, so something in that in that combo and then like one cup and then i'm gonna do a water and salt and do a full run and then i'm gonna wait to eat for at least an hour or two after the run so that means i've got to get a ketone surge because my body is going to be like i'm i don't have any glycogen left right. i need glucose so you're going to get a, a big blood sugar spike actually from ketones yeah so we're finding that athletes who if they do this they're getting a huge blood sugar like rise where your blood sugar is going up to like 180 yeah, I mean, and it, because your bot and you don't have any glucose in your system, yeah, so your body's like yeah, your body's flushing it all out to, to use. Yeah, just yeah. pushing ketones. Yeah. So I think um, that's one protocol I use. But I'm training almost every day, so I don't do very long fasts. I just do short, like 18, right. 19, 20 hour fasts. Right. And then the other thing I do is what I call a carb fast, which means I might not have any carbs. For 18, or most of my carbs I consume in a six to eight hour window every day from lunch to dinner yep. or like, and maybe a, maybe an evening snack if I'm training hard in a volume block. But all those carbs are coming around effort level and around the workouts and after the workouts. So I'm going into every workout carb fasted for at least 16 and to 18 hours. And you just hours. push through, and you, you really elevate your ketones and then you, you sort of you replete your glycogen with a carb, with carb heavy meals or just replete with carbs. Afterwards. Yep. Or, yeah. Yeah. So or so I'm and I'm strategically and cyclically bringing in um, fruit and tubers, like sweet potatoes, red potatoes, yeah. strategically, and veggies are the baseline. Yeah. So I'm always kind of cycling 
pulling them in and out around effort level. Right. No, that's very cool because, you know, my schedule is fairly adapted somewhat similarly. I will always do my workouts in the morning fasted, burn through the rest of your glycogen, and then, you know, essentially have a tight feeding window, you know, start with lunch and then, you know, have a tight dinner, a six, eight hour feeding window. And then, you know, I essentially anchor around a 36 hour fast and then eat as keto as possible. And then, you know, start putting in carbs towards the end of the week. And it's also just easier to sustain as like a normal functioning social human being where people want, you know, people go out for beers on a, on a Friday and Saturday. And it's like hard to resist that. I'm curious, yeah, totally. like, it, it, you know, is your, is your protocol... Uh, so extreme that it's affecting like your social kind of context <laughs> or, good, or do people respect question. you? It's a great question. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I, th I find it pretty easy to eat around when I go out to eat because I just, especially in the, you know, Western United States, especially the West coast, like it, it's easy to just go to a restaurant and say, no, leave the bread off a burger, um, substitute a salad for French fries. Right. And, um, give me no dressing. I want olive oil on the side and can I have some salt? Yeah. You know, and, and if you have a, a lemon to squeeze on my salad, great. Um, yeah, ask that, so, that's my salad. It's like heavy olive oil. That's it. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Just heavy olive oil. Yeah. So that I, I kind of, that's how I eat around when I eat out. Um, I try to choose wisely and, and just ask for substitutions. So I'm staying to that kind of blue, um, bulletproof primal blueprint kind of approved food list. Right. It would be kind of paleo style foods. Um, and then, uh, um, socially from a drinking standpoint, I mean, I drink red wine is my primary, I drink a little hard cider. Um, one of my coached athletes is a, is a master brewer of a hard <laughs> cider locally in Bend. So, yeah. um, I consume a little hard cider, red tank cider, um, and then, but, but red wine is mainly, you know, I, I used to be a beer drinker, but I'll have one every once in a while on a special occasion. Right. Like I had one at an event last night, right. but I have to say like my, my, my system feels bogged yeah, down carby. when I have it's carby drink. Yeah, man. When yeah. you have the gluten and the wheat and everything, I just, I, I, I can feel, I can feel it. Yep, like, sure. you, I, I feel like the one thing about going to more of a primal paleo style of eating, you after you've done it and you get used to it and you're in a habit of eating that way all the time, like, and you've gotten past all the cravings and, you know, because you are burning on board yeah. fat now and like you aren't having the crashes during the day mentally, I, I think it's really, you, you're in a new level of clean kind of. And, and you're you also really aware about it. I think you intuitively get it. Yeah. I, like a few years ago when I, I thought all this was kind of bullshitty. Like, oh, like are you some like hippie? Like I don't believe you that like you feel better. <laughs> and then like you actually develop a lot more attuned sense, sense of yourself. I think that's yeah. like very like personally. It's like it came from like, oh, kind of like a hippie bullshitter to like, hey, this is like legit. Like you can actually feel the differences. I think it's also augmented by, but you look at the studies, you, were, uh, you do blood tests, can, glucose monitoring. And right. I think that sheds light on it is like oh i feel this way and then you look at your blood glucose it's like oh yeah it's because there's like this steep curve down the or sensors up, are there yeah. to actually yeah. prove your intuition yeah yeah i've been wanting to buy a blood glucose monitor so this this is just gonna like pressure yeah, yeah. me into doing it <laughs> that's not, yeah i'm wearing one right now <laughs> yeah no, no i think it's it's one of the that's the one of the most interesting biometrics that i've been tracking just continuously track your blood glucose and we do a lot of finger pricks with ketones just to like really understand uh, and, and reconfirm your intuitions. I think you probably have some of the, you know, the best intuition. But just getting the numbers and tracking it, it's 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 very self reinforcing. Yep. Um, one thing I wanted to touch upon was that 
one of the reasons why we got into ketones and fasting is that one of the strongest ways to elevate neurogenesis, the growth of new neurons, and subjectively like elevate focus and in, in, in productivity in, in the office space is fasting ketones going into a fat burning state because they're just a lot less sort of you know wavy with 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 carbs uh, yeah. i'm curious uh in, in terms of cognition have you noticed anything there in terms of like clarity in terms of like going on a hundred mile run because um, i think there's interesting anecdotes um what the, of the previous guest, Dr. Jason Fung, who's a big proponent of, of fasting as a potential yeah, therapeutic. Yeah, I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of yeah, him, yeah, too. No, he's yeah. interesting. I mean, he's a big uh, proponent of fasting as a therapeutic for diabetes, metabolic syndromes. Telling, I mean, he, he told us stories around how uh, folks that were ultra-keto adapted in, 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 in sort of basically in prison camps being fasted for multiple days, uh, doing very crazy mental feats of memory uh and, and i think obviously if you're doing 100 mile runs you're very much out of glycogen in fat burning state your ketones are probably sky high i'm actually curious what your ketones level would be at the end of the race i'm just personally curious we should just measure i think you. i'm gonna i'm gonna buy a, okay I, i'm gonna make a commitment on the show yeah. i'm gonna buy a blood glucose monitor and i'm gonna monitor myself at western states 100 this year yeah. at the, so i can take it at the end yeah great um, make sure you get your ketones too because i want to see like are you at like five point i mean when i did a seven day fast zero calories uh my glucose was around 3.2 millimole which is like basically hypoglycemic like you should be passed out, but my ketones were at 5.4 millimole. So I was basically running purely on ketones. So, right, cool. so it'd be interesting to see like after a hundred mile run, like where your glucose and ketones are. Well, I think an in interesting, like N equals one experiment yeah. on myself personally, I had, you know, I had, um, 2200s to compare. And then I, now I've done 400s on, on keep being keto adapted. Right. And so, so the 22 is a high carb burner. I always chalk this up to just hundred, part of being a hundred miler and the, the damage that it does to you right. because so long I had major swelling in like the lower legs, like cankles, you know, huh. couldn't see my ankle bones, anything wow. like that for at least three days after the race. And I would have to wear compression and, like sleep in compression and that kind of stuff. You know, knees would throb. They're so swollen behind the kneecap Ugh. and, and, and you could visually like just see how I was hugely swollen. Um, and, and also I would get like bags under my eyes and like just kind of like like puffy face. And my wife was always hated it after hundreds because she'd be like, I'm so worried about you because you just look hammered. <laughs> and, and I would be like what I called brain fog for like five days. Like if I had to go back to work and graphic design and be on deadlines, I'd be like, I'd be like, uh, what was I just doing? You know, right. <laughs> I, I mean, I felt like I was like stoned or something and couldn't remember, recall like, uh, you know, short-term memory and stuff. Right. And so there was definitely cognitive function, me messing with my cognitive function right. post-race. Okay. And, and in the last 400s, I, that, that goes away. Like that first 14 hours of, and of like, I could barely walk, barely even bend my legs, that phase goes away. And so you go right to phase two of your previous car burning self of like, oh, I can kind I'm sore, but I can go downstairs and I can bend and can sit in the chair, sit in a chair without like, a walker and Jeez. and um and i didn't have the major swelling either that major swelling phase goes away like i can don't even have to wear i'll have micro swelling but i won't have i won't have to wear compression hmm. and so it, it's like that and like the brain fog's not there so it's like i'm clear that week to work like i'm tired you know bodily fatigued right. but but you come back so much faster you know 
you know, I'd say two or three days faster, you know, because the early like oxidative stress damage isn't there. Right. And that's what's interesting about burning ketones. Such a, we're talking about clean fuel. It's such a clean fuel source that you know burning fat is way more efficient yep. than burning carbs. Very cool. Anything else that well, you want to? Yeah, no. I, this is about? a really yeah. interesting conversation. A lot more questions, but I think one last one that I have is in the community at large. What are some of the more extreme biohacks that you've seen? And second part of that question is. Did you consider anything like crossing the line as far as like that would be considered, you know, cheating or that's not, that's not fair. Uh, from this perspective, like, I, I mean, I'm just eating. A, no, for you. you yeah, know, yeah. 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 What do you, or, so I mean, what do you across, mean by like, like, no, in the community, it. like other people or just things that you've seen in the ultra marathon distance cycling. Like, just I mean, I think more, one thing that like, brings seen, up to mind is like Oscar, Oscar Pistorius, you have a bionic leg. And you're running into Olympics, on, not not as a Paralympic, just a straight up legit, you know, normal Olympian. I think that really opened up that can of worms. Uh, you know, well, people do voluntary amputations now, right? Like, you know, it stands to yeah. reason that you will have a bionic knee that's not going to swell because it's just a freaking <laughs> totally. titanium knee that with like springs in it, right? Like, right, totally, totally. Like that uh, is like yeah, at I the cusp of today well i think we're having that conversation right now there's a small conversation going on right now like on facebook about um you know there's a there's one elite athlete that's sponsored that just got a golden ticket um got into western states through racing in um that is sponsored by cbd companies in colorado yep. so like you taking cbd oil for like recovery i mean he's been tested once and he's tested negative because right. it it's it's you know the wada and usada you know world anti-doping yeah. agency rule is you can't do it during competition you can do it outside of competition but you can't test at a certain level during the window of competition so he's been tested once after a, a course record win at 100 and he tested negative so right now we could argue just by evidence that he's te he's running clean which you know I'll take his word for it right now but that also opens up this huge conversation of like should we be testing for that as a performance enhancer? Right. Should we even should that even be on the radar? Right. Should it you know, I would argue like, well, if you if we're going to say that CBD oil is a performance enhancer, then we have to say that caffeine we have, or whatever. We have, yeah, we have to throw caffeine in there. That's where the bigger that's where we need to change the rules, yep. right? If if we're going to start saying CBD oil is a performance enhancer, then we need to start saying, well, ibuprofen is too because it knocked down swelling, yeah. right? So, so go the other direction then. So what, just go the other direction, and and how far can the pendulum swing that way to say like you know, nothing, like they're everything's fair game, right? And so that's that's another thing. Like if I can, you know, but the problem we we you have with CBD oil, it's only illegal and only legal in, in a few areas, <laughs> yeah, right? Right. Uh, so it just depends. I don't know, man. This is like a big conversation that we don't really have an answer for. Sure. But I think conversation needs to happen. Yeah, you know? I think that's why the interest in our community is so high, right? I think people realize that this is a generation where enhanced humanity is going to be possible, right? Like we have movies in Hollywood. It's always like sort of science fiction kind of leads where culture is going. You have movies like Limitless, Ghost in the Shell, like these enhanced humans. Um, right. I think it will be our generation that defines like, you know, this is how we should think about enhancing people responsibly. I think it's inevitable that people will be doing all these, all these things. Like you don't, prohibition doesn't work. So it, yeah, I think yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it now it's work. like, how do we do this in a responsible way that everyone can get on board with? Yeah, totally. I agree. Yeah. yeah so I don't know what that answer is. And I haven't seen any like crazy biohacks 
that would be like whoa like well there's i know i know just anecdotally some cyclists will like cycle they'll swap in like pig blood like oxygenated pig blood and well not they'll, like well, they'll, or they'll store like their own blood they'll withdraw it and right before the race they'll just inject their own blood back into their system so it's hard to detect not pig blood you can't inject pig blood but like or like epo type stuff right like basically yeah 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 and, and i think that kind of stuff is like i mean I think that's where I would draw the line. Right. You can't you can't start injecting stuff <laughs> like that. You know, I mean, that, for me personally, I right. think that's like kind of cheating. Yeah, <laughs> and it, and it's considered cheating, right? Yeah, like con- that's what yeah. and that's what Lance Armstrong got busted for was yes. putting his own blood back in. Right. You know, after hard stages. Um, so you know, and and like you said, it's hard to detect. So how do we how do we you know what's the balance between like constantly testing for this and trying to police it and what's allowed? I mean. There's a bigger conversation here, right. so absolutely. I want to give you the last word here. I mean, I think one thing that is astounding is that you know, looking at like peak marathoners, it, it tends to be like a later age that people peak in marathons. You know, in, in their 30s as opposed to early 20s in, in most other sports. Um, I mean, but your longevity in the sport in, in your 40s is like really interesting. I mean, would you accredit that to your thoughtfulness around nutrition? Pro- I mean, it clearly just from our conversation. Uh, you're very well read in the, in the nutrition space, and I think a lot of athletes aren't. Like, is that like the testament? Like, you're smart and you're playing that smartness to your physical pursuits. Yeah, I mean, yes, I I would say it's synergistic, right? Mm-hmm. I I have an, I have like all the things have come together. Like, I I have a cross training background of like skiing and mountain biking, and so I can I have that to pull from as an athlete. So when I do need you know, I listen to my body and if I need a day off, I go get on the bike or something like that. If I, I can still build that aerobic engine, right. but rest. So active recovery. So knowing when to use those tools and then also strength training on a regular basis. I'm a big proponent of strength training. <coughs> Excuse me. So I think those things um, all come together plus the diet. I mean, diet's probably, if I were going to pick one, it would be diet or pick two. Diet and strength training are the two things that complement running the most. Yep. And that's your, I mean, diet is like a weapon and it, so many athletes discount it because they're like, Hey, I ran hard. I can go eat whatever, you know, I can go eat a Snickers and I can go eat a Big Mac or whatever it is, you know? Um, and that's where it's just like, no, because yeah, you might feel okay in your twenties and thirties, but by the time you hit your forties, it's going to metabolically catch up to you. Even if you don't have major symptoms, they're subtle symptoms whether it's like a little, it's harder to get to race weight yep. or which is a sign of insulin resistance, yep. right? Yep. Um, or if it's higher, you know, uh, or if you have more bonks or you have GI stress during a long race right. and try and ingest a bunch of carbohydrates, you know, that all those things, or you have like energy fluctuations or you have depression, right? right? You're probably not getting enough saturated fat. So, um, you know, there's all kinds of little hacks that I think diet can fix. We don't need medication you know, food yeah. is thy medicine. Yeah. And, and so I think that literally I the think founder that, of medicine, Hippocrates, that was his, one of his seminal quotes. Obviously like do no harm is like his most famous quote, but I think, uh, uh emerging quote is like food is medicine and medicine is food. That's, that's, yep, that, that is that's, what, it. that, that's my favorite quote yeah, of his. Yeah. And, and I think that one's, it's very, very true. And we discount it and we're just now starting to, in the last 10 years, I think it's emerging now. Really saying, yeah. Like, you know, like there's something to, uh, an optimized fat metabolism for athletics because otherwise the two out of the top three tour de France riders on the podium last year, 
Froome and Bardet both are high-fat, low-carb yep. athletes outside of training, and they use simple carbs during the race. Yep. And then you look at like the Very Portland cool. Timbers soccer team. Um, there's a uh, another one I think. LeBron James uh, is like, and, and Kobe Bryant were big keto adapted athletes as well. And LeBron got it from keto. At least the story I heard that LeBron got it from from Kobe because Kobe was a Masters and he was starting to have like injuries yeah. and issues. And he went to that and he, like all of a sudden he's playing good again and like not getting injured. And yeah. and LeBron's like, what's going on? And Le- <laughs> he fills him in. And LeBron loses weight. Strength to weight ratio goes way up. It's easy to stay lean yeah. when you're a Masters athlete. Um, that's a huge one. When you were master, you've been lean in your life, and then you've like creeped on five, six, ten pounds, you know, and 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 you just can't quite get down there anymore. And all of a sudden, you, it like zaps off, and you're like, "Whoa, I'm back ripped like I was 19 again." Yeah. Like that's a beautiful. That is such a beautiful thing. Yeah. So, um, and and you didn't even have to try hard. Right. You just had to shift your what food macronutrients Which you're buying. Which is not or, you know, that easy. Food? You have to try, but like it's trying in the right way. Yeah, I think the biggest thing too, and go. And this goes back to that like earlier conversation we had about food and like how hard it is to switch to a ketogenic right. diet. I find that it's like really not that well for us. It wasn't that big of a shift because we were already doing nourishing traditions. Right. So it was basically just kind of cutting out some sprouted bread and and some some rice yeah, and I mean, potato. But, you, but you're potato. thoughtful about it because I think most people treat food as like, hey, I got like the office catered thing. I got the pop tarts in the in the snack room, and I got the whatever totally. right and I, so it's like you have to break out of that social constraint that social norm and i think for you where you're like you've already thoughtful like you have a, a family around you that's like interested in, in optimizing your nutrition but i think for most people they're surrounded by a culture of constant consumption of absolutely and foods. that's tough yeah but i think that the one thing i like I, you know a lot of my athletes are doing ofm my coached athletes and um <clears throat> doing that optimized fat metabolism protocol like a lot of it is educating yourself. So I give them a ton of tools yeah. to just like listen to podcasts, read this blog, right? Get that knowledge in your head of why I'm doing it, how the, how the science behind it is showing how it affects our metabolic system. And when we understand what foods we put in our mouth matter, like it's like you don't want to put high octane fuel in or do you want to put junk dirty fuel in, yeah. right? Because you're going to get your engine's going to be dirty and clogged up, or it's going to be super clean running. So understanding those things and and the politics behind it, I make all my athletes read the Big Fat Surprise. Um, <laughs> I, I make them all like read Primal Blueprint. Right. I you know I make them read Bulletproof Blog. I, I like I give them all these resources of of suggested reading, the Art and Science of Low Carb Performance by Bullock and Penny. Right. Like all those kind of books. This podcast. Like, when they get. <laughs> This podcast, <laughs> exactly. And so I give them podcasts, you know, I give them five or six podcasts to like kind of work their way through. Like, especially if they're an athlete that's traveling, right? And they have a job where they're working and they're on planes. It's like, download this audiobook, learn it, get it in your head so then you understand why you're doing it. And it's easier to be successful when you start looking at that bagel and going, oh, you know, my homeostasis is one teaspoon of glucose in the bloodstream. Right. And if I eat that bagel, it's going to be eight to 10 to hit my system. <laughs> yeah. It's going to mess my blood sugar up right. and insulin levels. And so like understanding that from a knowledge base really helps success. And then, then just sticking it out. That first four weeks is the most important because you have to learn new habits. Yep. You have to replace your old comfort foods with new comfort foods. Yep. There's, there's a success to, or there's a way to get to success through those steps of being intentional for a while until it becomes habit. 
hundred percent. I want to give you the last word here. So, what are the exciting things that you're looking for in the in the upcoming year? So, 2017. What are like the key, the key races, initiatives with your with your training program, with your school? What are the most okay. exciting things in the next you know few months? So, few, next few months, I am um, <clears throat> I'm running Western States again, 100 in June. Um, UTMB uh, in Chamonix in France in September 1st. Um, so going back to France for the 105 miler around Mont Blanc, um, and then, uh, doing some other races here and there, like local races, doing another hundred in the, in the, in the, uh, fall. And then, uh, running a camp out of Colorado running ranch in near Durango in August, um, which I think there's, um, you know, maybe we're trying to fill that thing up. Maybe four or five, six more slots left in that. No, this guy uh, said, yeah, you know, I might be interested personally. Program. Yeah. He's, he's our, he's our team runner. <laughs> oh yeah. You got to come dude. It's going to be awesome. And it's what not, is it, like 75 miles in five days, something like that. Uh, we'll the, do like, we'll probably do more like it's a five day camp. It'll probably be more like 40 or 50 miles that week. Okay. Um, but the last day will be kind of the big, we'll do one, a big long mountain run that day. But every day will be like eight to ten miles. But like in the mountains where we're take, like cool. we're smelling the roses, right? We're at altitude, you know, because you're close to you're gonna be like on part of the Hard Rock 100 course, and you're gonna be at altitude because the the ranch is at eight thousand feet. So, um, but it's beautiful, like awesome setting, creek front, fire yeah. pit, hot tub. <laughs> Yeah, granite is, countertops, man. It's this like this is definitely it's, something it's, that it's, that any, any listeners who are runners should check out. Sounds like you know, there's only only half a dozen spots left. Yeah, ColoradoRunningRanch.com um, slash Bronco, I think, is uh, you know my nickname. So for your listeners out there that aren't runners, <coughs> I do have a nickname. So all my Twitter handle and all that and website are GoBroncoBilly.com. I have an old nickname from a runner when I first started in ultra running. It kind of coined that awesome. Bronco Billy. I used to yell "Giddy up" a lot and "Yeehaw!" <laughs> like there you that. Go. Um, so All right, Billy stuck. Bronco Billy. All right, well, uh, Zill, our producer, is going to shout out those links, and we'll, we'll we'll get that information out there. Appreciate you taking the time, Jeff. Thanks, you guys. I really appreciate the time. It's fun. That was a fascinating conversation. I know f- yeah. from from you personally, you're probably the best endurance runner in the company. So I think right. that was cool from a personal from your perspective, and then yeah, yeah. I think for me. Um, on a more abstract level, I think again, I think endurance at runners are at the cutting edge of human performance, and and getting a sense of the thoughtfulness and how he treats his body as a, as a machine, as yeah. an engine with like high octane field of ketones versus glucose. That's exactly our thinking with biohacking and humans as a platform. Yeah, he has you know decades of experience, self study, monitoring, trying different things out, crossing from one sport to another. And he's obviously master level. It's interesting too. I think another thing we are always thinking about is what if you could take everything he knows and like make make a tool or make just put it into someone's head like like ten times easier. So you don't have to be. You can take all this knowledge and like stand stand on the shoulders of that. Yeah, absolutely. So if you guys have any questions and also just suggestions for other guests, we'd love to take them. Um, as you know, we we love to answer or ask your questions to our guests um, and leverage out our access and network to really you know, teach. And I think it's awesome for us to be able to like literally just learn and trade ideas with some of the top experts in their own respective wheelhouses. So yeah. it's always awesome. Um, you can catch us next time when we have a conversation on SoundCloud, YouTube, Google Play, and of course, Apple. 
um, check us out. Um, anything else you want to add? No, it's a great episode. All right, cheers. See you guys next time. Bye.